This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN, powering sport through innovation. Check them out at astn.com.au. Today we put the spotlight on one of Australia's best sports tech, sports data businesses. They have been in this arena for more than 20 years, so they're an original. They are champion data. You know, it's a beautiful sort of uh, origin story. So uh, for those that aren't acquainted, there's a bloke called Ted Hopkins who played Australian rules football for Carlton. Very famous, actually, in the 1970 grand final, arguably the most famous grand final for our American listeners, like the Super Bowl, right? So the two most famous clubs, Collingwood and Carlton, are playing. And Collingwood's up by 44 points at halftime, which 50 years ago, 44 points at halftime in a grand final is Mount Everest times two. Let's forget about it. The game's done. Well, matter of fact, it wasn't. And so Carlton came out and went on an absolute rampage in the second half. Handball, 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 thanks to the coach Ron Barassi's direction. And someone who absolutely cashed in in that second half was Ted Hopkins, kicked four second-half goals to lead Carlton to, as we say, probably the greatest grand final win in the history of Australian rules football. That is Ted Hopkins, the footballer. Well, that was in 1970. In the mid-1990s, 1995, in fact, Ted, who was a very passionate person when it comes to stats, analysis, all the, the numeracy of the game he loved, Australian football, well, he started the business Champion Data. And Champion Data worked hand-in-hand hand with the North Melbourne Football Club, who were coached by the super coach of that time, Dennis Pagan. And North Melbourne were a phenomenal success. They won the grand final in 1996, 1999. And in no small part, thanks to the statistical insights, the analysis, the sort of stuff that we think commonplace now, well, in 1996, 1999, it was revolutionary. And the revolutionary behind it all was Ted Hopkins. So he started this business champion data. And over the last best part of quarter century, they have absolutely thrived. Now they're based in the US. They're opening up in the UK. They are a world-dominating brand. And they're an Aussie business. So cool to see an Aussie business do so well. I mean, they are synonymous with stats in sport. Champion data. And... Um, we're very lucky to have the CEO, Libby Owens, on the show today. Libby is one of the leading advocates of sport, sports business, sports commerce, a lawyer by profession, sports tech and sports data in the Southern Hemisphere. Libby, for the last well, best part of 20 years, has been a leading figure working with the Australian media watchdog, ACMA, then with Cricket Australia in one of the most important roles in all of sport, handling the broadcast rights, senior position there. Work with the Indian Cricket Board as well, which is, I mean, would have been just fascinating. We'll try and talk a bit about that in the interview today. I'd love to get an insight into what that's like. Um, and yeah, has been with Champion Data since 2015, started as the coup, Chief Operating Officer, and then became CEO in April of 2016. Libby Owens, who gave the keynote address at the Australian Sports Technology World Series event on uh, in Brisbane last year, and was one of the most popular speakers because just so much knowledge, so much depth of knowledge, but 
and 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 sort of vision foresight insight etc but probably the best thing about Livy and the way that she goes about the communication aspect of things is she tells a compelling story and is able to engage the audience and I've got no doubt we'll see that in today's interview um, yeah and that's what champion data does you know they use they use the numbers but not for numbers sake the numbers tell the story and it's become so important now in sports broadcasting sports entertainment to be able to add different layers to the storytelling narrative of sport to get people hooked in engaged and ready to go so that's libby owens on the show today right after this you're listening to sports cutting edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Uh, joining us on the show now is the CEO of Champion Data, Libby Owens. And Libby Owens has had an absolute, just a marvellous career, and it's only beginning, really, in overall context. I mean, started with Champion Data in August 2015 as the Chief Operating Officer. About nine months in, they said, well, you know what, Libby might as well run the whole show. So became the CEO, April 2016, has been in that position ever since. Prior to that, spent seven years at Cricket Australia working in broadcast rights and keeping in mind that the most important thing in sport that makes it go round is the money from broadcast rights and Libby rose up the ranks there to become the rights and regulatory boss. Spent 2014 working with one of the most powerful and intriguing bodies in world sport, the Indian Cricket Board, the BCCI, as the broadcast and sponsorship manager for the T20 (laughs) Champions League. And before all of that, spent five years at the Australian Media Watchdog, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, specialising in many areas, including the anti-siphoning list, keeping sport like the Boxing Day Test, AFL Grand Final on free-to-air, thanks to Libby and the team. Now, Libby is a lawyer by trade who also studied contemporary music at uni. Uh, Let's start on that, Libby. Contemporary music. How did you enjoy that? (laughs) Oh, you've done your research, and I need to clean up my LinkedIn profile, clearly. <laughs> Contemporary music must stay. Now, tell us about that. Were you an aspiring musician and composer? What's the go? No, and I, I have told this story before. I was an aspiring actor, in fact. Hello. I wanted to be an actor. I had, I'd loved the arts at school, um, and I failed to get into any decent acting colleges post-school, but I did get into a contemporary music course. <laughs> and so I went and did an undergraduate in contemporary music at what was then, I think it was um, University of New England at that point. It's now Southern Cross yeah. University uh, on the north coast of New South Wales. So um, that is my undergraduate degree, but it was a good degree to do because what I ultimately realised really quickly is I certainly didn't have the talent that was required. I had some yeah. talent but I didn't have perhaps the discipline and the application to be the professional musician that that, um, I wanted to be. I got interested in the business side. Long story short, business side, intellectual property, oh, I might go and have a look at this, started doing law, which basically set me on the path that that I've ended up on. So (laughs) I've not sung a note. I've not sung a note since I graduated from that undergraduate degree, and I will not. No, well, I was... Except to my daughter <laughs> as I'm putting her to bed at, at night. <laughs> well, I feel like you could make a comeback right now. Like, I feel that could be the no, case. It would no. be a, a nice exclusive no. for ASTN <laughs> Podcast. A, um, 
But uh, you know what? It actually makes a lot of sense because you are a brilliant communicator. And I can imagine that in that performing arts space, whether it's singing, acting, etc., you know, the ability to be able to, I mean, what Champion Data does is they take data, but they don't, it's not just data for data's sake, it's to tell a story. And obviously in your role as, you know, the figurehead and, and the leader of the company, you've got to be out there telling the, the overall story. And then your role with cricket and, you know, with the Indian Cricket Board, once again, you're looking in that media mm. landscape. Um, and can we just touch on your time at ACMA? Um, I mean, that's that's a really big role. And Australia's very lucky that we do have such a strong uh, watchdog in media and, and keeping sports. Like, you know, we see that in England where, you know, uh, test cricket for a long time since, what, 2005 mm. went behind a paywall. Cannot be good for the sport. Whereas here, test cricket will hopefully always be on free-to-air. Um, can you give us a bit of an insight into that within the context of what you did at ACMA, then in the broader picture of yeah. sports broadcast? I was really, I have been very lucky in my career getting um, exposure to some really interesting aspects of, let's just call it the media industry. And I went in uh, to the ACMA in a role that was initially actually focused around uh, internet content regulation, if you can believe it. Um, so this, this, you know, I won't name the year, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> And there were initiatives at that time to um, essentially censure content at the internet service provider level, which, which anyone who knows anything about um, the world of network internet and whatnot knows that that's crazy. Um, I think the intentions were good. The intentions were to protect children and others from content that's harmful or problematic or shocking or horrible. Um, so I actually, as a very young person, was exposed to some pretty terrible content um and from there um you know that that informed a lot about who i am but the great thing about companies or the, or the public service i guess is that you can do lots of different work yeah. and so from um internet content regulation to children's programming classification mm -hmm. was another role that i had within that organization and then ultimately started working on this anti-siphoning project. And um, anti-siphoning is an interesting thing. I, it's controversial and always has been. It's a condition on a pay TV operator's license that they are unable to acquire certain rights without a free-to-air operator of having had a chance to do so themselves. And because Australia, it's actually not just for sport, believe it or not, but because Australia is Australia and we are sport mad, um, events of national significance are all sporting yeah, events. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, whether or not that legislation will continue to be relevant to our market, I think is up for debate given the changing consumer habit. Um, you know, there's so many different platforms, distribution platforms. Now it's not just the traditional cable pay TV, Foxtel that you used to have to buy and it plugs in. You know, you've got all these over-the-top services now, whether it's Stan, Netflix, um, there's, there's too many to sort of name. So that space, I think, is changing and uh, a day doesn't go by. There is a, a lobby-based article in the mainstream press about um, that particular legislation. It usually rears its head each time there's a major event like the Aussie yeah. Open, which we've just had, which was fantastic yeah. um or as you say an ashes competition those sorts of things so um but that 
that was really interesting role for me because I had to do a lot of research. Um, I had to deal with sporting organisations and broadcasters on both sides of the fence, yeah. on the free-to-air and the pay TV. At that point, it was it was largely linear broadcast. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of digital platform uh, content at that time. Um, but that, that was helpful for me because I kind of got to learn a little bit about the business side of sport yeah. and media and broadcasting. So it's all, you know... It's all been helpful over time um, and still helps me in this role now, which is, again, a very different role. Yeah, I reckon. So the ACMA was, was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic um, to learn lots, as I said. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you say there. As we see tech continue to expand and media fragment, I mean, with regards to that anti-siphoning, mm. so, you know, the traditional you know, TV through an antenna might disappear. But, for example, do you see that that would still be relevant? So, for example, Channel 7's got their app, uh, 9's got their 9 Now app, so you're still able to stream that content for free as opposed to Stan or KO where you've got to pay for it. So do you think that would still continue in that that setup? Well, this the Australian market's actually quite unique in the way it's structured. Free-to-air television like we have, doesn't, doesn't sort of exist anywhere else. You know, the States is a very um, complex broadcast model with all sorts of cable yeah. operators. Um, it depends which part of the, the US you happen to be yeah. in. Uh, UK is similar. So uh, I, I don't um, have the stats off the top of my head, but I know there was a point there where there was something like only 26% of households in Australia actually mm. had anything other than free-to-air. So to take something of national significance off free-to-air television mm. was problematic. It meant a large proportion of the Australian public would not be able to access yeah. it. If you now take a platform like Stan and Stan's sports product, um, which is where you would have you've got a Tennis Australia cap on, I presume you watched the Aussie Open, I presume you watched it through the, the Stan platform, um, you can access that as long as you have an internet mm. connection. Um, you have to pay. It is behind a paywall, so that that will um, be problematic for some, depending on their sort of um, financial decisions and means. But it's not the same structure that it used to be, where you, if you moved it to a pay model, that you would exclude a large proportion of the viewing mm. public. I, I just don't think that's quite the way it works now you had a young fellow on um from the state yes. recently on one of your previous podcasts and he was talking about gaming and how he consumes gaming and he's not consuming television as you and i would uh. know it he doesn't consume scheduled television his sport he consumes how and when he wants uh. to um so this idea of sitting down and watching a linear free-to-air scheduled broadcast of mm. something, it's a little bit, it's getting challenged and it's being challenged by these new demographics who want to be in control of what they're watching, when they watch it, how they mm. watch it, what device they watch right. it on. So I, I don't know, I'm no expert and, and it, it, you know, I run the risk of getting myself in trouble with some of Champion Data's very good broadcast partners, but... Um, I just think it's a piece of legislation that probably will be reviewed time and time again um, 
as it moves and keeps itself up to date with consumer habits. That, that's all. Very interesting. And, and that actually dovetails nicely into what you do with Champion Data because obviously it makes your product even more essential now because, as you say, the consumer wants so much tailor-made content for them as they're sitting there with their second screen, third screen. So can you tell us the way that Champion Data, we'll get to the origin story shortly, but the way that you now as a company are melding with this environment where we do have so many different options. As you said, Justin Moskowitz, the kid, the US college kid that came on the show and spoke about you know the way that he's actually building out the metaverse himself as a 22-year-old, which is phenomenal. Yes. Um, how are Champion yes. Data now starting to try and tailor-make products for someone like Justin Moskowitz sitting there in the States with his headset on mm. and trying to create his own content for other people to enjoy? It's a, it's a really important point to understand about who Champion Data is, that we are, we are business to business. We are not business to consumer. What we are seeking to do is partner with the likes of a broadcast or um, content distribution platform and to enable them. There's very little content, certainly in the sporting space, that isn't data enabled um, these days. It's If you don't have data informing the content that you are serving to consumers at the other end, it lacks a little bit of context or the consumers are demanding more because they're smarter. They, they, they are fans in a, in a real genuine sense and they understand the value that data can bring. So from our perspective, a lot of people don't know that Champion actually does broadcast graphics. Um, it's what you can see behind <laughs> me here. It's a whole bunch of equipment. Um, that will go out into the world onto what they call outside broadcast or into hubs. Um, and they'll be used to produce graphics that are overlaid over live um, vision of a sporting mm. contest. So the, the ability to overlay those graphics and those graphics to show something compelling that's data-driven that might have a correlation with winning, for example. So it might indicate to you, oh, look what's happening here in this game. I can see it with my own eye, but now the data is telling me or proving to me that what I think is happening is actually yeah. happening. Or even better, I think the momentum is going this way. Oh, look, the data would suggest that perhaps that other team is about to overtake yeah. or something like that. So um, it's not... It's not data for data's sake. It's not graphics for graphics' sake. It's not content for content's sake. It has to be engaging. It's got to be dynamic. It's got to be constantly adding value to the experience and the very, very rich product that is there on the field or the pitch or the court or the racetrack, whatever it is that you might you might be watching at that time. Um, so we're, we're, we're there to define what that data might be. Um, we are there to collect it if need be. We do a lot of data collection ourselves, you know, literally have a workforce who are sitting there watching sport and coding it, we call it. So they're tapping away or they're using a gaming um, device to record data. Um, and then we're enabling sports, their media partners, their wagering partners, their digital partners, to produce data-enabled content that engages. that That's ultimately um, a very simple explanation of what is a very complex <laughs> <laughs> tool. 
technical kind of infrastructure that, that supports yeah. that that product. Yeah. And in terms of the way that you craft, what areas of statistics or what areas of storytelling? Like, so I remember in the late mm. '90s as a kid uh, when Champion Data first started printing the stats in the Herald Sun, the newspaper in Melbourne, the AFL statistics, and <laughs> yeah. I remember looking at it: hard ball gets, loose ball gets, and all this sort of vernacular that really Champion Data created. Um, now that's where it was back in the late 90s and it's continued to expand and expand and as you say all these different wind predictors all the different analysis and graphics that we see overlaid and it integrates so beautifully mm. into the broadcast product what you do at champion data do you how much time do you spend strategizing all right what's the next big angle we're going to take on stats what's the next big thing we can offer to a broadcaster how much goes into that big picture thinking yeah it's really important we champions 22 years old which is quite extraordinary really um in the space that we're in so my my predecessors had the foresight and and the insight um you know even pre this kind of digital era that we're to realize that there was something in this that there was stats that needed to be captured that would um, enhance the game, fans' consumption of the game, their understanding of the game, and of course the athletes' understanding of their performance, tactically what's happening um, on the field or what could happen on the field. So we started really working with clubs in Australian rules football, and that's where a lot of the ideas came from. You talk to these people and you say, what's working for you? We're, what are your pain points? What are you looking for? And a lot of the ideas get generated um, from those who are the genuine experts. Mm. They're the athletes on the park, um, the coaches who are watching every minute of a sport that they can. And so working from the inside out, which is what we say, is really critical to just kind of get a sense of what actually is valuable yeah what is an insight as opposed to just another number that doesn't really provide much of um, anything to anyone. And then you keep evolving. So um, we operate in what we call the event data yeah. space. So that's, uh, every, you know, your basic stuff, a kick, a goal, um, a handball in the, in the um, case of Aussie rules, <clears throat> excuse me, a newer data category, if I could call it that, would be athlete tracking, for example. So that's a whole nother um, space that's really started to evolve and that's capturing what they call XY coordinates. So where is a particular athlete or participant or the ball on the court, the pitch, the field at any given time and having that data, what does that then let you derive that gives you more insights into the game maybe one athlete's moving faster than another or maybe one athlete doesn't move as far as another athlete but is far more effective at getting the ball or providing an assist because they just can read the play better um you know it might inform decision making so from a high performance perspective uh clubs and their, their players and their coaching staff can sit and they can analyze the data and they can say, well, you know, why did you make that decision? Because if you look at the setup of that particular play, you actually had four other options and those four other options would have, we think, mm, yeah. <laughs> returned a better, a better result. So, um, yeah, I mean, your question, it's a really good question because it really gets to the heart of it. 
how do you keep um, evolving the data set and doing your analytics in a manner that ultimately is resulting in something that adds value, whether it's to the high performance mm -hmm. space, the fans sitting at home, the governing body who's trying to understand how their sport's evolving and whether they want to look at rule changes mm -hmm. or not. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a wagering partner um, who might be looking to provide more compelling market. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's any number of use cases and there's really no end to the data that you can feed into those use cases. But again, I just can't stress enough that it's not just data for data's mm -hmm. sake. There needs to be some value add, some insight provided, um, something compelling. Um, otherwise, I think you're sort of just wasting everyone's everyone's time. And if anything, you probably um, you'll you'll start to detract from the purity of the contest. Yeah. And and that's something you just don't want to do because ultimately, as a sports yeah. fan, um, if I have to choose, I just want to watch the yeah. sport. That's really interesting that, that you lean that way. And I suppose it helps that, A, you are a sports fan, but also that you've worked with sport, you know, Indian Cricket Board, the Australian Cricket, you know, Cricket Australia. The fact that you've had that intimate knowledge of sport on that side of the fence, I think that's a, a really interesting point that you make, that you're, you're more inclined to pull the lever back rather than push forward with stuff that might be superfluous. Yeah, well... Well, as I say, we, we like to partner. So we, we would prefer to be working in a collaborative, mm. consolidative way with a sporting organisation or a league because um, they've got important domain knowledge that will ensure a better product. We've got important domain knowledge that we can lend and will, will ultimately um, result in a better product. So we're, we're sort of sitting there saying, let's work together. We can give you the tools and the technology mm. We can provide you with some operating capacity. We've got know-how, you've got know-how. Let's put that together. Ultimately, what we can give you as a sport or a league is more control, more management of your very, very important asset, which is the official data. Um, and then from that, what you ultimately end up doing is maximising the commercial value of that. Because without being crass about it, sports need to make money. The leagues need to make money. Those who invest in those sports, who buy rights, who take sponsorships, they need to leverage that investment. Um, so there needs to be a commercial lens, of course. That's important. Um, and then as important is engagement. So whatever we do, let's just make sure we are enabling leagues and competitions to all their, all their partners to engage more with their fans and consumers. Yeah. You made a comment right up the top, Lockie, about um, media rights being the most important asset or, or, or um, of a sport, and I'll argue that with you. Volunteers, participants, <laughs> we talked about this earlier. Without them, yeah. you're nowhere. So the, the, it's, it's got to be a yeah. bit of both, right? You, you've, got to, you've got to make sure you've got the commercial lens, but you've also got to make sure that you are looking after the people who ultimately love and consume yeah. your sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, absolutely. No question about that. Um, and we did have Courtney Smith on last uh, episode from Firefly Initiative, and he's working very hard in that uh, arena to try and 
you know, get some dollar value for the volunteers who... Yeah, and I, I listen. I listen to that episode, like in, and I would encourage people to go and have a listen to it, particularly if you are someone who is yourself a volunteer mm. or a participant um, in in local and community sport. It's um, yeah, it's it's interesting. We we I should say Champion Data. We don't operate at that level. We have pitched our business and remain at um, what we call sort of tier yeah. one, so the elite level and um, the feeder leagues that might sit under those elite levels. So we're not at that grassroots participation, community-based um, level, but certainly understand the importance of it in the ecosystem of sport. Mm. And Libby, what do you think of uh, smart ball technology in terms of new ways to extract data, procure <laughs> data? Sterling Mortlock's a good friend of this show, and, and with Sportable, they have the smart ball in rugby union. There's been trials in rugby league as well. As a, as a growing field of potential tech what are your thoughts? Yeah, so the ball is part of the fabric of a sporting contest, right. um, whether it's a you know rugby ball, a um, soccer mm-hmm. ball, uh, or football, tennis ball. Um, you definitely want to be integrating that into your data set and capturing data points from that. You don't necessarily need uh, to have a device on in the ball. Um, it's still something that's a little bit exploratory for most companies at the moment and most sports and leagues. Uh, if you take cricket, for example, do you remember when cricket went with a pink ball mm-hmm. and the controversy and scepticism and outrage um, around around this idea of changing the nature of the yeah. ball, um, which ultimately, in my personal view, is fantastic. Yes. I, I love the pink ball Um games but so the the integrity of the ball has got to be part of um, the considerations integrity of a game at every point has to be very very um, important and elevated in everything you do but there's an ability to use things like computer vision for example to track everything on a field a human a ball Um, but as I said it's it's still very much exploratory. We still need to do a lot of work. Champion's doing its own thinking and um, experimentation around how we might look at things like the ball and what technology is best to use. Is it device? Is it computer vision and AI? Is it some hybrid where it's a bit of both? Um, so important, and I think it will become quite ubiquitous soon. Interesting. Can I ask, and I don't want you to reveal any trade secrets, but how far are you down the road at Champion Data looking at that smart ball technology? And how long do you think until it will be ubiquitous? Is it two years, five years, eight years? What do you, what do you uh, think? What is it? Morse, Morse's Law yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, far be it from me to predict. I, I don't think it's too far away at all. And um, we've been very fortunate in being able to partner with some amazing universities here in Australia who do a lot of research around uh, computer vision specifically. So we don't have a product in market. Uh, whether we'll have one uh, in future remains to be seen um, or whether we'll look for partner um, or whether we'll use existing um, data capture to generate in the same sorts of insights, the same sorts of data points, uh, whether that's through the GPS and athlete tracking that we're doing, 
synchronise with the event data that we capture um, ordinarily. There's multiple ways that, that you can come at this and so we're open to um, to all of it essentially, again, through the lens of does it add value, does it provide insights, um, does it ensure the integrity of the athletes, yeah. the devices, the competition itself, all, all those sorts of considerations. You work yeah. in such a fascinating field, Libby. Like, I, I love it. And particularly because, obviously, champion data are a market leader. You know, you're in this sort of position where you can almost help to shape the way that sport goes, you know, the way that we consume sport. I mean, it's it's amazing. And you're a great person to be leading the charge. Um, so superb with your credentials. And obviously, as people can, can tell, just so so able to put this sort of information into terms that we can all understand. And can you tell us... Well, well can I just say, Lockie, I, I think it's really important. We, the sports are the ultimate custodians of their data. And we think that's really important. That should always be the case. Sports should own, manage, control their own yeah. data. <clears throat> Excuse me. We do, just because of our legacy having worked from the inside out, as I said, um, having started independent of sport in, in doing data capture and um, understanding the value in it, we do take a bit of a custodial approach to what we do. And so we, we talk a lot internally about integrity, um, our own integrity, the integrity of the data, the integrity of the sport. It's really important. So, um, yes, we're a business, so yes, Ultimately, it's a commercial uh, endeavour, um, but that commercial endeavour is ultimately enabled and protected if you do have a custodial approach to the way you work with sport mm. assets. And I think that's really important. And my, I have some incredibly smart people, um, you know, sitting on the floor out here behind <laughs> me, and they get that better than anyone. And they are genuine sports lovers who would be devastated if they thought that anything they did might compromise the integrity of an athlete, a result, a competition. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so it, ha it has to be kind of underpinning most of what you yeah. do. And Libby, on that note, and, and yeah, uh, big ups to your whole team there, um, your office there. I mean, you've you now got offices in America and you're opening up in the UK. So we'll get to that expansion a little bit in a sec. But can you give us an insight into... All right, so this coming AFL season, right, 2023, can you tell us how many people from Champion Data will work on it? And can you just give us a little bit of a, I suppose, a sketch as to what, what it looks like? Like, how is an AFL game covered by Champion Data? Can you give us a little bit of that bird's eye view of your AFL operations? I can. <clears throat> Excuse me. It depends on the, the particular operational aspect. So as I sort of said, we've, we've, we're doing data collection. So we've got um, <clears throat> a wonderful workforce of casual employees who are located all over the country. Uh, and we now, as you've alluded to, have a workforce um, globally as well. And they will ultimately um, there's a combination so you might do live data capture mm. at venue or you might do live data capture remotely you might be in a bunker similar to sort of what i'm sitting in now um, or you're doing post so there might be a, a qa quality assurance or or a um, first principle capture that is done post that's 
people sitting in front of a keyboard or, as I said, we've got a funky little product where um, the guys are using a PS3 um, handheld device to to do some data capture. So so they'll they'll be doing that. And then we obviously have um, the very, very clever tech support um, and engineering aspect of all of that, which is the, the people who are making sure that that data is flowing appropriately, that it's, um, you know, getting where it needs to get to in very, very quick sub-second type delivery timelines. Time and then on the broadcast side, we've then got uh, um, engineers and we've got graphics operators uh, who are, and we've got analysts, we, we put analysts into the broadcasters themselves who, who are sitting there next to a commentator um, or a producer feeding them stories or insight. So for a footy game, geez, you could be looking at anywhere, depending on which which um, particular competition you're talking about, you could be looking at anywhere from 15 to 20 people across the gamut of those services that we provide. Um, for some of our other sports, it might be slightly less. So, for example, um, we do a lot of thoroughbred racing. We, we do graphics. We put devices on the silks of the horses to, to track horses running around the field. Um, so we might have two or three people at a particular race meet, and then we might have a support team back at HQ or in a bunker. Um, for something like a pure broadcast event, our golfing event, for example, that we are we're working with Live Golf, um, the uh, team might consist of uh, um, technical engineers, graphics operators. We might send programmers uh, to make sure that um, all of our software is operating, you know, in the way it should. So that again could be anywhere from three to five or six people. Um, so it's, it's labour intensive, and that that's something that's both great about our business and potentially moving into a world where automation and AI and computer vision is coming to the fore potentially um, means that we can look at the way we're operating and find different ways to operate, different ways to repurpose our Mm -hmm. talent. Um, So it's a a really interesting space for us. But um, can't speak highly enough of our engineers, our analysts, our programmers, our graphic operators who are out there day in, day out. Um, delivering all of this amazing content and stats to all our partners. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's come a long way since uh, Ted Hopkins, who was a Carlton footballer in the AFL or VFL <laughs> as it was, and very famous, kicked four goals in the second half of the 1970 grand final as Carlton came over the top of Collingwood, 44-point uh, <laughs> deficit. They were down at halftime and beat Collingwood. A very sad day yeah. for some, happy day for others. Um, but so Ted started this whole thing when he was had a passion for collecting statistics. Uh, worked with mm. Dennis Pagan uh, at North Melbourne in the early days. Helped them win a premiership. That's right. Yeah. So that's where it started, and now it's just gone gangbusters, as you've described. Can you tell us about the journey? Like we we did mention, you expanding globally. Yeah, I mean you're a, a company yeah. based in Melbourne, private company. Um, a world leader in what you do. I mean, it's an amazing success story from Australian sports tech, isn't it? It is, and I'm really proud of of the company and that I get to, um, you know, associate my name with it. And 
as I said, you know, we're, we're over 22 years old, which is pretty extraordinary mm. in, in this space. And we are an Australian company. We are headquartered in Melbourne, but we are a global mm. company. And that growth has accelerated uh, in the last couple of years. COVID, like um, everyone, slowed us down and, and took us back a few steps, but that's okay. We learn a lot as well through COVID in terms of how we were operating and ways of working. So we've been on a very healthy and constant growth trajectory and we've been able to expand out into more sports. We've done footy and netball for many, many yeah. years. They're, they're our bread and butter. They're our core. I'm very proud of the fact that we have been in netball for as long as we have and partnering with Netball Australia and Netball New Zealand. Um, and so that's been a part of who we are for some time, along with Aussie rules. But as I said, we, we've expanded in the last two, three years into thoroughbred racing, um, which is a fantastic uh, product for us. Um, and we really enjoy working with our partners across the racing industry. And we're hoping that we can expand that outside of Australia uh, into other markets, which would be fantastic. Um, we also do uh, lacrosse, which is a fantastic and I would encourage anyone who hasn't watched a lot of lacrosse, check out your ESPN, ESPN2 schedule. Okay. Find some lacrosse to watch. We do two competitions. We do uh, the Premier Lacrosse League, which is the um, outdoor professional league in the US. Um, and lacrosse is actually one of the fastest growing sports in the US. It's, it's a fantastic um, competition to be a part of and we also do the National Lacrosse League which is an indoor lacrosse competition oh. um, high voltage sport <laughs> um, very very entertaining um, so we're, we're very proud of, of our lacrosse operation because it's effectively all year um, throughout the US at different locations and we have a wonderful um, workforce in the states now who are delivering all of our services across lacrosse um, and then, as I said, we, we've been lucky enough to partner with Live Golf to work with them to not only provide their graphic solution, but to establish a platform which enables them to really generate a huge amount of content, irrespective of the distribution platform, um, and generate greenfield-based data content, which is fantastic. I mean, that's what's great about working with uh, dare I say, a startup yeah. league, is that they really aren't beholden by uh, a great degree of legacy or tradition. They they can think very innovatively, and they have, um, and they've been able to deliver some really fantastic innovations through that production. So, again, if you've not had the chance to have a look at some of the Live Golf um, production, I'd encourage you to do, to do so currently on YouTube, but I think that'll probably change in, in recent times. And in fact, there's a couple of tournaments in Australia this yes. year. So that, that'll be great for um, for the sport, for golf, uh, for for us as well. Yeah. It's so, it's so much progress. Uh, as you say, 22 years in. Uh, if we were having this chat well, when we do have this chat in 10 years' time, uh, what do you think, <laughs> what will Champion Data have achieved in that time? Look, if we keep going the way that we're going, I, there's sort of nothing we can't achieve, which is, is sort of um, the way we approach it. We have a very open mind to who we will work with. As I say, we like to partner, we like to collaborate. Um, I think we'll be guided 
in a large part by sports and the problems and opportunities that they're looking to solve and seek. And then um, as we sort of were speaking about, I think before we, we started recording, the media landscape is ever changing and it's changing just within the context of what we know, linear, over the top, um, on demand, all these sorts of things. And that's not even starting to touch on Web3 and some of these other worlds where there'll be a requirement for data. Will it be the same data or different data? Possibly a bit of both. Um, what will be the graphical requirements, the content-led requirements of those different um, technologies? I think everyone's still working to figure that out and to position themselves so that they can be responsive to that. And, that, and that's, I think, what's part of Champion Data's longevity is um, trying to look around corners, as we all do, but just ensuring that we stay nimble and um, be dynamic enough to respond when there is an opportunity for us to do so. And that, that's part of, I think, what's been, um, you know, the, the recipe for our success. Uh is not being too locked into who we are, what we do, how we mm. do it, just remaining as agile and flexible as we possibly can. Uh, and again, it's having really good people, really good people who are passionate about you, passionate about what they're doing, passionate about what your clients and customers are doing, um, because that's half the battle won. Mm. So who knows? We might be a completely automated <laughs> AI computer vision Based company, we might be a hybrid um, of that. We might be doing a whole different area of work. We might be outside sports. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really is, is sort of endless the opportunities for us, and, and we're pretty um, excited, certainly about this next year. And right now, our focus is entirely on this mm -hmm. year. Um, we've just secured um, a global tennis contract, which is extraordinary for yeah. us and we have a team overseas um, starting to do, do the work to deliver that um, so we've got a big year ahead of us and that's where we're staying focused for the moment it's the most important thing yeah. um, congratulations yeah. on the tennis contract that I'm sure is it will lead to even bigger and better things as well as you continue to expand globally Hey, before we go, what advice do you have? I mean, you, you're just having a stellar career. I mean, and you're young too. You know, like it is a stellar <laughs> career. Next time you come on, we'll have to... You're way no, too no, kind, it's Lockie. true. You just look at the resume. It speaks for itself. But, well, next time you come back, we're going to have to delve into your time with the BCCI. We're out of time for that today. So we'll leave that topic for next time. But for this time, what advice do you have uh, for, for people listening, young people listening, young girls in particular, in terms of being able to mm. pursue their dreams in the corporate world, in business, in sport, in sports tech? What advice do you have? Um. Oh, see, can we do a whole podcast just on this yeah, topic? Should. I back yourself, be confident, never give up, all those sorts of um, really, really important. They sound like platitudes, mm. but they're not. They're actually really, really important. You've got to be confident mm. um, and you, you've got to, um, despite all your potential um, concerns or misgivings, you've just got to say yes. So, so sort of throw yourself in there as much as you can. Um Find mentors. I think if I had my time again, I would have sought a better network, more mentors much, much earlier on. 
Um, I think the more you work through your career, the more important that becomes. It's important early on, um, but as you become more and more senior, it, it, it sort of, you know, there's a reason people say it's lonely at the top. Um, you're ultimately making a lot of decisions which um, you often have to make on your own. So having some trusted advisors that you can bounce things off and say, this is the issue I've got right now, or this is the opportunity, this is what I'm thinking, um, it's invaluable. Um, and I, I, I've said previously, just keep an open mind. People often think, I want to work in sport, and that means they want to be working for a national sporting organisation or a club or a team. Um, sport is a huge ecosystem, mm. and it really doesn't matter where you are in that ecosystem mm. or how you come into that ecosystem. Once you're in, the opportunities are genuinely uh, endless. If you apply yourself, if you keep an open mind, um, if you learn if you take the initiative. Um, so I just think that's really important. Don't, don't be narrow in what, now this, this, is, this is the benefit of hindsight, yeah. right? So this advice I'm giving, I was very much of the view of, I wanna work in sport. I looked at the sporting organizations, I wanna work for them. And I was lucky enough to, to, to achieve that through Cricket mm. Australia, but the benefit of experience and hindsight tells me that you really could have come in any number of different yeah. ways. Um, so keep an open mind. I love it. Yep. Great advice, Libby. Well, yeah, you got to come back. We've got to have you back on the show um, to <laughs> delve more into that. I think there's uh, a lot of inspiration inside of what you've said there, and I'm sure if we expand further, you know, it'd be pretty cool for the listeners, as I say, particularly for young people, because it's uh, it can be a daunting word out, world out there, and to hear from people that have made it happen like you is... Well, if I could also just give organisations like the Australian Sports Technology Network a plug as well, who, who obviously are behind this particular mm -hmm. podcast, those organisations are really important. And there's often volunteering or other opportunities um, around the events or, or the particular businesses that, that those organisations are working with. And they're a really great way to learn a lot. Like, look, I, I, I'm quite envious of what I imagine you've learned and had insights into having done this podcast and just talking to really interesting people across the gamut of sports tech. Um, so, yeah, thanks to ASTN and, and a nod to the very good work that the ASTN does, certainly in this market. It's really important and we're all very grateful for it. Uh, you're very kind, Libby. Thank you very much. Well, until next time, thank you very much for your company. Thank you, Lockie. Oh, just brilliant. Libby Owens from Champion Data. We've got to get Libby back. 100% got it. Well, we'll sort of chart Champion Data's progress with their expansion into the UK. So we'll have to sort of touch base on that maybe in six months or something. But more importantly, I think there's definitely something in, in sort of doing a bit of a series around, you know, the inspiration side of things. And you know, I know so many of you listening are people that are aspiring are trying to make it whether it's as you know entry level fresh out of uni or you've got your first startup or your third startup and you're trying to really get the the resonance in the marketplace well Libby someone that's been there done it keeps doing it so I reckon we get Libby back and and delve into that that is for another day in the meantime thank you very much for your company we'll catch you next week on sports cutting edge You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.